0: Hudson Taylor lived in the 1800s, and he was the founder of China Inland Mission. He was just a young man at 15 years of age. He grew up in a home. His parents, James and Amelia Taylor, were devout Methodists in Barnsley, Yorkshire, England. James's dad was an apothecary and an evangelistic preacher. James and Amelia provided their children with a sound homeschool education which included the study of Latin and French, and were also diligent in teaching them about spiritual matters. When Hudson uh, was 15 years old, he started working as a junior clerk at one of Barnsley's banks. The people he worked with were worldly in their outlook and skeptical towards spiritual things. They ridiculed his old-fashioned notions about God, which led him to question his conservative Christian upbringing. Adopting their perspective, he concluded he could live any way he chose, because there was no God to whom he must answer. At that point, however, the Lord providentially allowed Hudson to develop an infection in his eyes, which forced him to resign his position at the bank. He went to work for his father, but now was unsettled and unhappy. James Taylor, his dad, not knowing about the spiritual struggle raging within Hudson, became irritated at his moodiness. Hudson's mother, however, was more sensitive to her son's struggles and began to pray more earnestly for his spiritual welfare. Several months later, about a month after Hudson's 17th birthday, He had an afternoon free from responsibility and found himself looking for something to read to pass the time. He spotted a small basket of pamphlets in the parlor and searched through them until he found a gospel tract that looked interesting. Gospel tract. Picking it up, he thought... There will be a story at the beginning and a sermon or moral at the close. It says, I'll take the former and leave the latter for those who like it. He started reading with an utterly unconcerned state of mind about his spiritual condition or his relationship with the Lord. Unbeknownst to him, at that very moment, his mother was kneeling in prayer, pleading with God for his salvation. She had gone to visit her sister some 50 miles away, and that afternoon had found herself with little to do. After noon dinner, she went to her room where she was determined to remain in prayer for Hudson's conversion until she felt certain her request had been granted. As she fervently prayed, Hudson read about a coal miner in Somerset who was dying of tuberculosis. Some Christians visited him and shared the gospel through a series of scripture verses, the miner was struck by the Bible's teaching that Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the cross. When the dying man was told about Christ's cry of, It is finished! From the cross, he comprehended its significance with regard to the complete provision that had been made for his own salvation and that day prayed to become a Christian. As Hudson further pondered that declaration of Jesus from the cross, he asked himself, what was finished? Immediately the answer to his own question le- leaped into his mind, a full and perfect atonement and satisfaction for sin. The debt was paid by the substitute. Christ died for my sins. Then came the further thought. If the whole work was finished and the whole debt paid, what is there left to do for me to do? Hudson later wrote of that moment. He said this, and with this dawned the joyful conviction as light was flashed into my soul by the Holy Spirit that there was nothing in the world to be done but to fall down on my knees and accepting this Savior and His salvation to praise Him evermore. Immediately he knelt down and asked Jesus to become his Savior. Meanwhile, an assurance came to the heart of Hudson's mother that she no longer needed to continue praying. She began to praise God for the firm conviction, which she was sure was from the Holy Spirit and her son had been saved. Two weeks later she returned home and Hudson. Greeted her at the door, exclaiming, exclaiming, Mother, I've such good news to share with you. I know my boy, his smiling mother responded, throwing her arms around his neck. I've been rejoicing in your news for a fortnight. Seeing her son's surprise and perplexity, she added, it was not from any human source that I learned this. I know that when you were, I know when you were converted and it was in answer to my prayers. Sometime later, Hudson picked up and opened a notebook, which he thought was his own, but was, uh, which was actually belonged to his younger sister, who was named Amelia as well as same name as the mom. Says his eyes landed on a single sentence. Says, I will pray every day for Hudson's conversion. From the date that accompanied the journal entry, he realized his sister had been praying daily for his salvation for a month at the time he was saved. You know, God is still very much in the business of working, of saving souls. And, you know, God wants to use you and I. And one way that we can be used is through a gospel track. The word of God's in it, the plan of salvation's in it. And it's an easy way to share the gospel with others. You know, Hudson Taylor, he spent 54 years in China. This is, he got saved at age 17. He had basically turned into an agnostic or an, uh, one who didn't, an atheist, didn't believe in God. But through that gospel track, God spoke to his heart. He was in China for 54 years. By the time of his death in 1905, the China Inland Mission was an international body with 825 missionaries living in all 18 provinces of China, more than 300 stations of work, more than 500 local Chinese helpers and 25,000 Christian converts. One gospel track and how God used that in a very special way. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds. Lord God, use us. Help us, I pray, Father. Lord, help us to be unashamed for thee. Help us to be bold for you. Help us, Lord, to allow our lives to count, Lord, for reaching others for Jesus Christ. Lord, use us, I pray. Bless the word as it goes forth and speak to me, speak to the lives of your people this day. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter number 28, if you'll turn there. Matthew chapter 28. And as you're turning there, this is known as Great Commission Sunday. Great Commission Sunday. You know, Christ's Great Commission is given to each one of us. You say, what is a commission? Well, I looked up the definition. I'm probably not the smartest uh, guy in the block. so. I looked up in the dictionary, it says commission was an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people. And you know, Christ has given us a great commission. Not only is it a great commission, but it's a wonderful privilege. It's a wonderful privilege that he has given to us that we can share with those round about us. Look with me in Matthew chapter 28 if you would. And we're going to look at, I'm going to quote several of them, but we're going to look at this one. But in all four Gospels, the Great Commission is given. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, the Great Commission is given. All of these verses that we're going to read are after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ is risen from the dead. For we know that the Great Commission, is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4 says, it talks about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the good news for you and I, that we might, uh, or our sins have been paid for, they're taken care of, and we can trust him as our Savior and know that we have a home in heaven. So it probably would have been harder for Christ to teach the Great Commission to the disciples until after he was Uh, Although he explained to them, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to take me, they're going to crucify me, they're going to, you know, and I'm going to be raised again. They didn't comprehend all that. And they still had questions even at this time. But look with me in Matthew chapter 28 and beginning in verse number 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The great commission that Christ has given to us in Mark sixteen fifteen, we read again, and he said unto them, "'Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature.'" In Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, the Bible says and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Again, in John 20:21, 20, then said Jesus to them again, "Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me; even so send I you." You know, thinking just jumping back to Luke 24:47. Let me ask you, if you're saved here today, say, can you say a good hearty, amen? Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus said this in that next verse, verse 48, it says, And ye, and ye, and ye, he didn't say it three times, just once, but I'm emphasizing it. And ye are witnesses of these things. When you trust Christ as Savior, just as the apostles saw the risen Christ, You've trusted Christ as your Savior, and ye are witnesses of these things. You've witnessed the saving power of Christ Jesus. You've witnessed forgiveness of sin in your own heart and life. You've witnessed His forgiveness and the salvation that you can have through Him. Ye are witnesses of these things. In Acts 1-8, this is uh, on the Mount of Olives, right before Christ is going to ascend to heaven. He's been teaching uh, the disciples after his resurrection for 40 days, and he's preparing to ascend now. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 brethren at once. You know, he appeared to the, uh, the disciples, he appeared to a couple on the road to Emmaus, he appeared to... Uh, the the several that were out fishing on the lake and, and he fed them a breakfast there of, of fishing and, uh, and gave them something to eat. But we see that, uh, that he, um, he was preparing to ascend to heaven now. And he says this, he says in Acts 1-8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be part of that Great Commission. You know, the Great Commission is great because it's the greatest message ever given. It's the greatest love ever shown. The greatest need ever met the greatest sacrifice ever made, the greatest forgiveness ever offered, the greatest hope for the future, let me say the only hope for the future, the greatest gift ever given, the greatest destruction ever averted, separation from God in hell forever, the greatest possession ever offered, eternal life. So it's not only a commission, but it's great. It's a great commission. And, you know, you can be a part of that. You can be a part of the great commission. Pastor, you support some missionaries through the church here? Do you know how many? Twenty-two. 22 praise God. Praise God. Uh, you know, you can be a part of the great commission by help to support those missionaries by giving. You know, I don't know how you're... Offering envelopes are how you do that, but I know at our local church in Carrollton, they have, you know, general and then they have missions and, you know, there's other things that you can write it for, but, you know, your general should be your 10%, you know, of what God has given to you. That's God's. It's not yours. Really, none of it is ours. We're a steward of it. But the fact is, is, you know, we certainly should give God that minimum of of his. And then over and above that, you can be a part of missions. You can give to missionaries. Also, you can pray for missionaries. You know, I don't think it's just pious platitudes, you know, but I know my son, uh, he's a missionary in Peru, been there 15 years. And I've heard him say, it, and I've heard other missionaries say, you know, uh, we appreciate your support, but one of the greatest things that you can do is pray for us. You know, if you could give every one of these missionaries that you support all 22, a million dollars, not a year, a month, you wouldn't be able to give them any, uh, you, you, you would be able to give them more if you prayed for them because they could have all the money in the world. But if the power of the Holy Spirit isn't working, if God's not moving in that ministry and souls are being drawn to him through the power of God, then it's all in vain. So, so you can pray for your missionaries. You can be part of the Great Commission in that way. But, but how about maybe even a more definite way? You know, you're Jerusalem, where you're at. One of the greatest ways that you can be a part of that, and let me say one of the most simple ways, is to get out gospel tracts. You know, when I, First started, uh, it's been maybe two years ago or so, I started to get things together for what we were doing here. And I sent away to probably six or eight track um, organizations that would send you a sample packet of their tracks. And usually you pay for them, which was fine with me. Uh, but I wanted to see what their tracks were all about. And there were some of them, maybe because they were just smaller and they didn't have as much on it as I would like to have, like in scriptures and all. But the first prerequisite was that they had to have the Word of God in it. You know, I mean, it's nice to have a nice little story of something, and that's touching but the word of god is what where the power is at and so uh i sent away and uh, we order i know bible tracks and corporate are you you're familiar with okay bible tracks and corporate we get a lot from them i know there's moments with the book in pa i mean you know designate you know i think before it was all kjv they print some others now so just say hey i want the kjv ones there's, you know, ones they will print something on the back for you. I know your church has a nice, um card, uh, like a, even less than a three by five card or three and a half by five and a half card and it has the gospel and the plan of salvation on it. And so, you know, get, get good tracks that you, that, uh, God can use. But, you know, again, I, uh, one thing that I found was that if, If you don't have the seed with you, you can't plant it, as Pastor mentioned earlier. And this this is the prototype. This is the first. I was excited because um, I was just, um, you know, thinking, you know, when they sent this to me, they said, here, they sent me two samples. I had this one, and then I had one that was cut just a little different for the pockets I didn't like that one because it bunched up at the bottom because most of the pocket was down there. So I went with this one. But when I got this, the very first thing I did is I put the tracks in it and I kept it with me everywhere I went. I mean, have that privilege and opportunity. So so God can help us uh, and help us to use those for his honor and glory. You know, uh, gospel tracks have been used um, even before the movable type printing press. Johann Gutenberg, I believe, was... Read 1436, I believe it was, when he developed a movable-type printing press where you could start more mass manufacturing things instead of just writing them all out. And uh, even before then, the Wycliffe used gospel tracts. They were used as political tool, tools in the 17th century. Uh, Martin Luther used them during the start of the, uh, the Reformation. Um, Hudson Taylor, he used them. They were used in his salvation as well as in the China Inland Mission. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, he wrote many tracts. And in addition to these, he had what he called his penny sermons. I don't think that they were just worth a penny, you know, in the sense they were, you know, you know, no good sermons. He was one of the top preachers of all time. But back then, it was a penny, I guess you'd pay for them, I'm assuming. But uh, he distributed those widely by the millions. You know, Spurgeon, he challenges us about gospel tracts. He said this, when preaching and private talk are not available, you need to have a tract ready. Get good striking tracts or none at all. says, but a touching gospel tract may be the seed of eternal life. Therefore, do not go out without your tracts. He says again, let each one of us, if we have done nothing for Christ, begin to do something now. The distribution of tracts is the first thing. Robert Murray McShane said this, the smallest tract may be the stone in David's sling. In the hands of Christ, it may bring down a giant's soul. And again, the importance is the power of the word of God in it. The power of the Word of God. You know, um, Hebrews 4.12 says this. For the Word of God, it says, says, is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, I was thinking, man, that is... I mean a sharp two-edged sword that was the leading edge you know that they used in war back then. I mean that was the you know the stealth bomber if you would. You know I I was just curious, you know I know um, that um that surgeons can do great things with surgery nowadays and I I looked up I said, you know, can they part like between cell and cell? Can they take something and and Actually sever cell and cell and as I was looking at that and was reading about it, you know They said that they could even and it's developing greater and greater. I think they call it nano surgery But they can go in inside of a cell and they can do stuff with inside of a cell I mean, that's amazing to me I mean to do that specific a surgery that's physical God's word deals with the spiritual, divides asunder a soul and spirit. You know, you ever been in church and maybe you're here today and you say, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. But uh, you're, you're here and you think, um, uh, boy, I haven't had that thought for a long time or maybe never had that thought. You know, and the word of God is speaking to your heart, and the word of God is dividing the sunder of your soul and spirit, and speaking to you. I mean, God's word will deal with the spiritual. It's powerful. I think of that verse in Isaiah fifty-five, eleven, God says this, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. God's word is powerful. I mean, uh, you know, we can look at a lot of things. I mean, here's, uh, you say, but man, you know, and, and the preacher ought to be right uh, and, and when he's preaching, amen? I mean, he should have a right heart and, you know, get sin confessed, whatever it is. But, you know, think about Jonah. I mean, he preached the Word of God. He didn't want to. He fled the first time. Finally, God gave him another chance. And he says, Lord, I'll do it. And, you know, become throw up for the whale, you know. And uh, he went and he started to go to Nineveh. And he preached, I believe it was about an eight-word message. In 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Doesn't sound much like any grace there, does it? But you know what? Those people believe the word of God. They believe the word of God. You say, yeah, I bet you all Jonah was all fired up about it, you know, and he was just praying for those people that they'd get saved. No. Matter of fact, when God started to work, the people, uh, Jonah said, man, I knew I shouldn't have come. I knew that God was going to do this, be merciful, because that's just the way God is. Oh, old Jonah, he got mad. He got so mad to the point where he said, Lord, just take my life. I don't like what you're doing here, but you know what? It was the Word of God. The Word of God is powerful, and we as Christians, we need to certainly have the love of Christ and try to reach folks, and God uses that. But the fact is, is that... The the word of God is powerful. I think of um, it's not only powerful in the lives of the unsaved, those who are without Jesus Christ. It can break the stony heart, but it's powerful in my life and in your life as a believer. You know, First Thessalonians two thirteen, Paul speaking about the church at Thessalonica, he says, "For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing." So, man, we're we're thanking God continually. The next word says because, and when I when I came across that verse and I started studying it more, I thought, man, why is Paul thanking God without cease? And he says this because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Listen to this, which effectually worketh also in you, that believe. The Word of God works affectionately in my heart and your heart, in my life and your life. The Word of God is powerful, and thank God for that. You know, I, I think of uh, the effectiveness of gospel tracts. Say, do gospel tracts really work? Well, if you're familiar with or ever heard of the Fellowship Track League, is Tim Lapish, has he, anyone ever been here from, you know, Brother Tim? Then Okay. Yeah, I saw him just a week and a half, two weeks ago. We hadn't seen each other for a while and had a good time of fellowship with him in Norwalk. But uh, the Fellowship Track League is a ministry of Fellowship Baptist Church, which is located in Lebanon, Ohio. Since 1978, the Fellowship Track League has printed over, and I got the update on it uh, from Brother Tim, over 5.3 billion gospel tracks. No doubt making them the most prolific track printing ministry in the history of the world. I mean, I talked with the secretary at Fellowship Track League the first, this was the first part of January of 2022. I called him on the, called her on the phone or called up there, talked to her. I told her what we were doing with the gospel track wallets and got a special sermon that challenging folks to get out gospel tracks. And I said, hey, I'm just curious, um, You know, what's your results on that? Because on the Fellowship Track League tracks, I believe about all of them, they have a place where people can sign their name and say, hey, I've trusted Christ my Savior. I'd like more information. And so they get those back. She said, well, I can't help you with the foreign part, which that's the majority of where the majority of the tracks go. I mean, they'll have a container with maybe 10 million tracks that will go over to India. Or Pakistan or some country where they'll get them to missionaries and people there to distribute them. And in many of those countries where they do not have much literature like that, that tract might get read eight or ten times. So you get a lot of people contact. She says, I can't help you with the United States. She said, last year, which would have been 2021, she said we received 322 requests of people said, I've trusted Christ my Savior. I want more information. I mean, if you were to spend your whole life in getting out gospel tracks, and one person trusts that Christ is Savior, would it be worth it? Yes. Amen. Amen. Bible says that that one soul is more, worth more than all this world. And yet, only God knows the extent of how many folks. Didn't send their their four men, but 322. She said sent something in. Said we've trusted Christ as our Savior, and and by the way, um, the church in Lebanon, they have about a hundred people in attendance. Not a super mega church, if you would, but they've just been faithfully, everlastingly at it since 1978. Brother Tim Lapish has a, a friend um, named Mitch, or had. A, he's with the Lord now, but his friend Mitch. He was telling me about him several years ago. He's um, said that Mitch uh, grew up in PA, and I think it was Allentown, or mentioned a couple of cities, but he was around. But he was involved in the underworld. And Tim said that, you know, he he just, I mean, any wickedness that you can think of, he was involved in it, whether it was selling the drugs, whether it was the cartel, whether it was, I mean, last time I talked with Tim just a week and a half ago, he said, yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe even murder, I don't know, you know. It's just, just a wicked life that this uh, Mitch lived. And he was out and... A prostitute. How she got a gospel track, or how she got it—somebody must gave it to her. But she felt sorry for Mitch, and she gave him a gospel track. And he kept that with him for a while, and he read it. And he—and and it was from Fellowship Track League. And the Spirit of God worked on his heart. Finally, he got in contact. I—I I forget how it worked out. Where. The pastor came to him and spoke to him, and he got saved. And God began to change his life. He became an evangelist, preaching the Word of God, exalting Jesus Christ. He went to be with the Lord. Now it's probably been three years ago, I'm guessing. You know what it said on his obituary column? I mean, think with me of this before I... Tell you what it said on there. What What's your net worth? I mean, that means like your car, your house, your clothes, your everything you have. What would you say your net worth? You don't have to shout it out. I know many of you in here, it's tens of millions of dollars, no doubt. But, uh, but, uh, just remember that pastor next time you take up a special, uh, missionary offering. But, um, but, you know, what, what would yours be? Net worth. They said that Brother Mitch, when he went to be at the Lord, his net worth, they said, was a thousand dollars. I mean, I don't know how many shark skin suits you own, Brother Cusick, but, uh, you know, if, if I had one, that would probably be, you know, a thousand dollars for that shark skin suit. I'm assuming I've never seen one, I don't think, and I've never owned one, but, but, uh, Pastor Jameson probably has four or five in his closet, no doubt, but, but, um, but a thousand dollars. You know, I, I've, I've shared that testimony before I talked with Brother Tim here recently. He said, I, I said this, I says, I don't know. I says whether God just met his needs day by day or whether he just gave away what come into his hands. I asked Brother Tim that and he said, no, he said he got some really big love offerings. Got some really big love offerings, but he just gave it all away. Gave it all away. man, I need to be saved. Oh, Lord. Man gets saved, God changes his life, he preaches, gives all the way that God, God brings through his hands. I mean, what I'm saying is this, is that God uses gospel tracts. And I, I know the dynamic is certainly more than that in a lot of ways, but this is the seed. This is the seed that will speak to folks' hearts. I could share with you, I was at a lady's home named Melissa. This is in 1988 to 1991. I was working in her home doing some work there, and we were talking. She wasn't far from uh, Carrollton Baptist Temple, just lived on Route 9 there, if those of you are familiar with that area, maybe a mile from the church. And so we were talking about the Christian school Regina and I had all ten of our children graduated from the Christian Academy. We had young children in the school back then. And so she had a couple smaller children, like I forget if they were two or three years old. So we were talking, and I was talking to her about the Lord. Before I left, I said, "Listen, let me leave you at this. This talks about how you can know you have a home in heaven. And I left, and, you know, I forget, fifteen, twenty years later, Word got back to Regina and she told me, says, you know what? You know the rest of that story? I'm not Paul Harvey either, alright? But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the rest of the story is this, is that Melissa took that gospel tract, she went in her bedroom, said so she opened it up and she read it, and God spoke to her heart, she bowed her head right there and trusted Christ as her savior. She, I remember her starting to come to the church. I remember her children being in the Christian school. And God did work. I didn't, I didn't know about that for 20 years later. What I'm saying is, is that you're not gonna, you're gonna have to wait till you get to heaven to see the results in eternity. I mean, God is, God can do mighty things and you just don't know that one tract just might, uh, take care of it. You say, well, who should I give them to? What does this say? God says this. He says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And you know, the thought is this, is that, that, you know, if you read in, uh, you can read in Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, uh, about the parable of the sower and it talks about four grounds there the the wayside the stony ground the thorny ground and the good ground and you know the it says that the seed is the word of god and you and i are the sowers of it so let me ask you this uh, let me just do an example hold on just a second Anybody tell me what I'm thinking right now, the thought that was in my mind? Not specifically. The specific thought was, Lord, I'm thankful to be here at Columbia Baptist Church. That was my specific thought there. You can't see my mind in my heart. I can't see yours. But you know, God can. And the fact is, you know, we look at people, hey, just think if in... in uh, Saul consenting unto the death. Yeah, well, let's let's uh, get Stephen. Yeah, going around, going to Damascus. Christians fleeing everywhere. Man, this guy. You know, we got to get away from him. God's working in his heart. God's working in that man's heart. Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. It's hard. And and. Saul gets saved, goes into Damascus. Lord tells Ananias, hey, I want you to go visit somebody for me. His name's Saul. Oh, Lord, we've heard great, uh, horrible things about this man. He's coming, he's bound in Jerusalem. He's coming to do the same here. No, he's a vessel fit for my service. He's going to be before kings, and, and, and he's going to preach my word. Ananias, you know, he understood, I don't know where how Ananias got saved, but it very well could have been that Ananias maybe got saved from a life of wickedness and sin. And he's thinking, God, if you can do it in my heart, certainly you can do it in another man's heart, regardless of how it is. You know, the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus in John chapter uh, number 3, you know, would have looked at that man and said, man, that man is a believer, Nicodemus, a religious man, a pastor. And yet, as he came to to Christ and patted Christ on the shoulder and says, man, there's uh, you must be a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. You know, Jesus could have said, oh, thanks, Nicodemus. I appreciate that. You know the first words Christ told him? You must be born again. Ye must be born again. I'm sure, you know, he might not have pointed the finger. Ye must be born again. He, You know, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he explained it to him through John 3.16 and all. John chapter 4. The woman at the well had to come out at noontime to get her water. Nobody wanted any contact with her. She didn't really want to be around anyone, I'm sure, I mean, she, her life was wrecked and ruined. She was in sin. And yet Jesus was there and began to converse with her. He says, uh, you, you, you need, uh, if you get the water that I can give, you'll never have to come here again. I can give you a, a living water. Well, you don't have anything to draw with. Yeah, it's living water. And he talked some more, and finally she said, well, when the Messiah's come, he'll tell us all things. I that speak unto thee, am he. I'm the Messiah, Jesus said. She left her water pot. She ran, 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 ran back into town and began to tell everyone. Say, wow, looking at her heart, she would have never gotten saved. man. You know, look at folks, and you see them, you know, maybe with tattoos on them, or you see them, you know, you think, uh, man, that person, what I'm saying is is that Jesus reaches down to the people regardless of what they look like, where they're at, and we need to reach them for the Savior. So you say, well, why should I use gospel tracts? Well, God uses them. That's a quick and good answer as God uses them. So think here this morning with me. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, God says that today is the day of salvation. Jesus loves you. He loves you with an eternal love. He paid the price on Calvary's cross for your sins, for my sins. I thank God that as an 11-year-old boy in Cleveland, Ohio, at West 46th Street and Store Avenue at the Fellowship Baptist Church that I received Christ in the summertime of 1970. I thank God for that. I had heard the gospel previous, several months previous to that and throughout. I was just a little bit fearful to take that step. Why? I don't know. But I trusted Christ my Savior. I was walking to church with my sister, and I told my sister Debbie, I said, Debbie, so I put it off long enough. I'm going to trust Christ my Savior tonight. I set one, two, three pews back, uh with this uh gentleman and wife sitting right here. Not in the exact pew. Ours weren't padded, all right. They were just old hardwood pews and hardwood floor. Uh the auditorium was probably as big as maybe one of these areas of pews here it wasn't a big auditorium, but I uh I went and I trusted Christ my Savior that night. Or uh that uh yeah, that evening on Wednesday. And salvation is a free gift. Let us take the word of God and show you how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven. And if you're here as a Christian, God wants to use you. He wants to use you, and he can. I was in Menards in—I um, forget—I go to New Philly and I go to Massillon sometimes. Depends on where I'm at. But I remember I had passed out five or six tracks in Menards already. Big store, you know, I, I don't like wasting time, you know, excuse me, sir, could you tell me where this at? Ma'am, could you tell me where this at? I, anyone I find, but I was in the, I was checking out at the cash register and this has never happened to me before, but I, uh, her name was Maddie, M-A-D-I, and I said, Maddie, I said, let me leave you at this. This talks about how much Christ loves you, what he's done for you and how you can know you have a home in heaven. And she said, And she sort of looked over at the next cash register that was behind me. She said, we were just talking about that. (laughs) Oh, wow. Just coincidence, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, God will direct you. And it's a lot of times you don't even know God's directing you until maybe afterwards. And you might not know totally until you get to heaven and you see all the things that he's done in your life and used you in a special way. God wants to use you. Let's bow our heads if we would, please.